I didn't mean to be some sort of inspirational runner, but I am proud of what my disability has opened up for me. Welcome to the ShakeOut Podcast. I'm your host, Kate Van Buskirk. Aristotle Domingo is a double below knee amputee. He's also an avid runner, a seated thrower, an activist, an actor, and a podcast host. He's the founder of the Amputee Coalition of Toronto, a peer advocacy group providing education and support for the limb loss and limb different community. I first met Aristotle at a global running day event in 2017, shortly after his first limb loss experience. He says that although it's hard to believe, that amputation changed his life for the better. In this episode, Aristotle takes us through his extraordinary story of perseverance and self-discovery through running. Hi, Aristotle. It's so nice to see you and welcome to the ShakeOut podcast. How are you doing? I'm great and thank you for having me. Did you get out for a run today or in for a run today? I did. Uh, what did I do today? Oh, I did run on the treadmill today. I did about 30 minutes today. I wasn't really counting on the mileage. It was just like, I just needed to sweat off and make my day feel like it. I had a good day. <laughs> yeah, good for you. Well, we can all relate to how much a good run will do that, right? Regardless of what else is going on, really makes a difference. Absolutely. On, on a long day or on a dark day like today. And I always say that I always use my running as sort of to get you know my mind out of whatever funk it's kind of in and you feel exhausted at the end of it, but it's good exhaustion, right? And you get to good sweating. So you're like, okay, that's productive. So let's go on. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally get that feeling of just getting out and, and moving. And sometimes it's just like getting getting yourself out the door is the hardest part. And then it feels so good after that. It is. And it's like, oh no, I don't really want to go. And then, you know, in my case, I put my blades on. I'm like, do I really want to go? Right. And then you, you do actually go to the run. And at the end, you're like, oh, I feel so much better. Like, I feel so much better now. And I, and I felt, you know, I feel good about this. And so, you know, so, but it, it's that getting up and, you know, and I always say it's like, just that, that, that getting up. One of the quotes that I love from your website is, I'm not the best runner. I'm not even a fast one, but it's not about that. It's about getting up and doing it. And that's exactly what you're describing. Yeah. Right? I, I, I think that and it just applies to everything, I think. Right. It's just about really wanting to get wanting to get up and and doing something in my life. I kind of look at things a little bit more positive now, you know, even if it's it turned out to be, you know, for a runner like myself, who is an adaptive runner, I could have a bad run day. You know, I could have, you know, develop a cyst or I could develop a blister throughout a run because either I ran on, on, you know, not very well fitting sockets and we can get into all the technologies of that. But and someone or somebody who may not have the, the mindset to think of this was still a good run can just go, oh, great, I got a I got a blister. I shouldn't be running anymore. Right. But it's like, but what lessons did I learn from doing that? That means I wasn't prepared. That means I knew what the problem with my sockets were, but I still went ahead and did it instead of fixing it before I caused the problem. Right. So instead of looking back and putting that as a hold to not do it again, it's like, okay, what lessons learned can I take away from that? And so that I can move forward and motivate me for the next one. So then it's a problem solving too. It's like, now I can, I know myself better now. And, and as a runner, you're like, now I know how to run better. So it's like, oh, what's lessons learned? Let's go forward from that. So you mentioned, um, you know, often we talk about 
putting on our shoes and getting out the door. And you use the term, of course, putting on your blades and either getting out the door or getting on the treadmill. So um, let, let's start there. You're uh, a bilateral below knee amputee. Yep. Maybe you can start by just explaining what that what that term means. Sure. Yeah. Um, there's there's ways and 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 how people explain that. Um, the way I, I say it is a a bilateral below knee amputee. That just means um, both my legs below my knees have been amputated. And I know that's not the right way of saying that either. So I'm going to say limb loss. So I've experienced limb loss below my knee, which is more politically correct nowadays. And so um, I have limb loss below my knee. So I still have my knees. Um, and about midway um, around my calf is where I had um, my limb loss or where I experienced limb loss. And so that's both on both legs. Um, and so I, in order for me to, to run, I wear a running blade or I wear running blades, uh, a pair of running blades to, to help me jog and run and do activities. But then I also have everyday prosthetic legs that I, you know, wear around the house or, or do other activities with. I'm curious about this. So, um, do you have bone below the knee? Do you have like shin bone below the knee? So I still have both bones. So they're just, oh, this is going to sound really weird, cut off in the middle. So between okay. my knee and my ankle, um, that so from the mid-calf all the way down has been removed. So there are ways of doing that um, doctors do it depending on the style and the technique that they do. Um, mine are not attached to one another. So I still have tissues that are surrounding both bones and they protect the bones, the tissues. Uh, some surgeries or some surgeons may have fused the two bones together to make a more cone-shaped um, limb. But for me, I was able to shape my limb uh, to have that cone shape, but my bones are still um, are loose from one another. So they're never attached. Um, I still have my full knee. I still have all of that. It's just really literally between the calf or yeah, from the calf down has been removed. Um, and then I'm assuming that, and we can get into this more in a moment, but then your prosthetic will fit over uh, the, the the base of, of where the amputation was or the limb loss occurred. Right. Yeah. So the socket, okay. think of it like, um, uh, like, you know, those stacking uh, cups or just regular cups. Um, so yeah. think of it as that, that, that one on top is my limb. And then the socket is the bottom cup that that would go on top of that, right? And then there's different systems depending on what you're comfortable with. And, you know, we don't have to get into that, but, you know, um, but that's literally how that kind of works. So it's a cup over, you know, or the socket over the, um, the limb. The story of how Aristotle would come to experience his limb loss goes back to a life-changing morning in 2001 when he was in his early 20s. He doesn't have any memory of this morning, but he retells it based on what he's been told by others. The story was I had fallen down in the middle of my way from my bedroom to, to the bathroom, and I was, take, I was rushed to hospital. They didn't know what was going on with me. You know, a young kid at 20 figuring out, you know, what, what could be wrong with this kid? We don't know. It turns out that a mysterious ailment had caused blood poisoning which led to sepsis, a severe response to infection. It can be fatal. And in fact, Aristotle's family were told that he likely wouldn't survive the night. Of course, he did survive, but he spent the next three months in a coma before finally waking up to his new reality. I think I woke up that day for the, you know, as if it's the next day. It's really weird. It's a really weird feeling. The, the nurses come over and they say, do you know what day it is? You know, do you know where you are? 
you know, do you know what time it is and, and all of that. And, and they keep doing this every day until your mind actually clicks back into the timeline that you're in because it really, it literally felt overnight. Three months in a coma. That's, I mean, I think that's hard for almost all of us to imagine. Was there sort of, I would imagine there was like a relearning how to walk period just from coming out of the coma for three months. Well, it's not just relearning how to walk. It's, it's, um, I can only describe it as being a toddler, right? Or learning. Actually, it's, it's really, it's kind of cliche. It's a rebirth, right? Um, because really what you start from is, you know, because of how bad my body was and how sepsis has affected my my mobility and everything in my the only thing that was surviving at that point was my brain and so if you can picture that I was a vegetable drooling all over the place like a baby right I had to have a towel around my neck because I you know and then a breathing tube down my throat because I my lungs wouldn't breathe anymore uh I had several heart attacks while I was in you know in the coma right because you're because what sepsis does is it tries to kill you like it's trying, it's killing your system, and so that's why I've lost the use of my limbs because they had to draw all the bo- all the blood and everything that they can towards the upper torso in order to keep the system alive. And so, actually, back then, their 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 solution originally is that to amputate both my arms and both my legs. So they they said that would they're like I think the only way to save him because we had to draw all the blood, all the good blood towards the top, the torso. We had to, and his. And his legs are dying anyway, and his arms are dying. They've all turned purple and blue already, and they're they're just going to die off, right? So we might as well save all of that, all that blood towards the torso to keep him alive. So you had to amputate both his legs and both his arms. And my family goes, um, he's probably going to hate us when he wakes up to that because, and I don't often, you know, share this one, but I was also training to be an actor back then. So a triple threat as a dancer and as a singer and as an actor. Right. And so it's like, well, he needs his, you know, my family is very optimistic. It's like, well, he needs his like to go back into theater and, and they're like, I hate to tell you this, your child's probably not going <laughs> to do any of that. Right. So, um, but they're like, no, we can't do that. He can't, you know, he can't, he can't wake up to that. So you got to do something else. You got to fix yourself something else up. Otherwise, I would have woken up with no arms, no legs. So, you know, uh, when I woke up, it was like I had to learn how to eat, breathe, drink, roll over, <laughs> um, speech therapy. There was a lot of things where they're like, he's never going to talk again. Because So I had to learn. I had to actually get an easy speak, one of those toys from in the 80s. So I had, you know, my, they would translate what I would be saying onto that easy speak. And so that they could understand what I'm saying, because I had, they thought I was going to be permanently on a breathing tube, uh, on a ventilator. Um, he's like, his lungs are not going to ever pump again. So we, he might as well be on a breathing tube. Right. And then we moved from there to like a little microphone that you put on the neck. So the vibration at least can, can make the sound. And then to covering the hole on my throat to speak. And then they're like, okay, well, and clearly throughout this podcast, now you're like, well, he doesn't shut up. So clearly he can talk. <laughs> well, you're um, a runner. We'll get into this, but you're, you're an actor. I mean, right. you, not only did you prove them wrong, but those lungs and that voice seem to be working just fine. <laughs> right. Um, and so it was, it was really all about that. It was, it was like, it was really, that's why I say it's like being reborn and, and this rebirth because I get to experience what it's like to be a baby in your 20s because I had to learn how to do all of those things again. Um, I got to say, though, I still can't pick up a dime because my fingers just don't have the dexterity. But 
you know, I've I've found another way to be adaptive and and do all that. And that's probably what also helped me to become an adaptive athlete is that that mindset and that that problem solving to say, how can I do this if I can't do it the way that I knew how in the past? Right. And so I think all of that just prepared me for what it is after my amputation. Aristotle remained in hospital for a full year as he slowly learned to regain all of his lost functions. And for the next 15 years, he underwent over a dozen surgeries on his legs and feet to deal with the damaging effects of spending so long in a coma. Living with a disability for that long, you kind of also wear out your body a lot, right? Um, Because your legs aren't functioning. I was inactive. I wasn't even mobile at all. I was just mostly on the couch. You're exhausted from all the pain medication that you're on because you're constantly in pain. I don't ever remember not being on medication, not 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 ever on break from pain medication. And between pain medication and and antibiotics, your body is just relying on that stuff to like move on and, and go through the day. You know, there are days when you I didn't even want to put my my shoes on because it's just so painful. Or I couldn't, and I always say this too, it's like I couldn't even wear walk two blocks from my house without crying in pain. And so going through that for 15 years, and then finally I was on a trip to China and um, another infection happened. And it was just like, I can't do this anymore. It's that moment of like, we've gone through about a dozen surgeries, about a dozen dozen different kinds of antibiotics every time. And every time I get an, an infection, I would be in hospital for 10 days because my body got so used to pills that it no longer takes pills. I had to be IV now for medications, right? So it's like, is it really a quality of life to live that way, right? So you start questioning what else is there? Like this this can't be, like, I can't do this anymore, right? And, and that's when you're faced with the question. And so I asked my doctor, I said, what else can we do at this point? Like, I give up. Like, I don't know what else to do anymore. I'm tired, right? And he, he said, he's like, I think amputation would be it, but you can't go back. Like once we do this, you cannot go back, you know? And he said, but I, I would ask that you ask for a second opinion. And so I went to another doctor and, and he said, I think if you want the quality of life, this may be worth a shot because we have tried everything else. And so 2017, I had my first left baloney amputation and my claim to fame, if you will, is five months after amputation is I started running. So I joined the first 5K. It was a Good Life Toronto uh, run. And I did the first 5K. And that's when I said, you know, it doesn't matter how long this will take me. I don't care if I'm walking this or if I'm running or if I'm jogging this, limping across the finish line. I wanted just, I just wanted to do this for me, right? I didn't expect anything out of it. I'm just like, I just want to do this, right? And, and I'd even tell my physiotherapist then you know, or my doctor, because I was still in rehab. And, you know, they'd ask you what your goals were. And I said, I just want to be able to walk my dog two blocks without crying in pain. Right. And so we worked on that. And then they found out that I'd signed up for this 5K. And they're like, you're crazy. There's no way you're doing that. It's five months after your surgery. You're not even on a permanent socket at this point. And I was wearing, um, just so everyone knows, I was also wearing uh, leg braces for 15 years. And so I have an AFO on one leg or ankle prosthesis on one leg and I have, or a leg brace. And then I have my prosthetics on, on my left leg. So they're like, how are you going to do this? 
but it's like, I don't care. Like, I don't care if it takes me two hours to run a 5k. I just want to do this. And I did it. And, and I'm pretty sure you, you know, every runner out there have had the same experience. What you cross that finish, you're like, this is great. Like you get this bug bite and you're like, what just happened to me? Like, what is this? Like, what is this joy of accomplishing something and crossing that finish line that just like, man, I need more of that. Right. And so then you start, you start going at it again and you're like, okay, now, oh, wow, I can really do this. And for me, it was the realization of, wow, I can actually have, I can go back to my active lifestyle, which what I had before my bout in 2001, because all of those years from 2001 to 2017 really was like, like I said, couch, school, bed, couch, work, bed. You know, I was overweight. Uh, you know, I I was never clinically thought of as having depression, but in hindsight, it's like, well, I showed all the signs. Like I, I have no motivation to do anything. I was just like, whatever. You know, you turn people down when when you go, you want to go out or whatever, right? So, so it was like a complete, I guess, one eighty for me. And then twenty nineteen, I had another infection on my right this time, and my doctors go what do you want to do? And I was like, immediately, I was like, get rid of it. Didn't even skip a beat. And he's like, he's like, I, yeah, I would agree with you because you're a runner now for a better quality of life. This is probably going to be better for you. Now, the second time running, going back and running after the second amputation was a little longer. It was six months after the amputation, but that's simply just because I didn't have a blade for that leg. And so we had to wait for another blade to come. And <laughs> and get fitted for another socket at that point. And then, and all of that takes a very long time to do. And so, uh, but I was able to run six months after that amputation. And it was just like, and then it was back at, okay, let's do everything back the way it was, you know, two years ago when you had the first one. And so getting back into my sports, getting back into running, getting back into an active lifestyle. And I found that I haven't taken a single pain medication since, right? Where your brain is no longer foggy, right? Because all those medications just make you foggy and you don't even realize it, right? And so now it's like, now your drug is running and you sleep better now because you're active and you're doing active things and you're more mobile. What was the experience of having to make that first decision in 2017? You explained that you were just really at your wits end. You didn't know what else to do. And yet I can only imagine, because again, I haven't experienced this, what it would be like to make that decision to say, yes, please remove a part of my body. To me, it was like, what else is there really? You know, um, it was, okay, so you've had you know, I say 15 years because I was living in, in, you know, like I said, the infection happened in China where it was 2015. And it was like, what do I do? I can't speak the language to see a doctor. So I had to grin and bear it and live off Tylenol until I was able to come back to Canada and get proper medication for this, you know, for know what's happening. You know, after, after being in that situation for so long, um, you kind of know when something's wrong with your body. So you get the feverish, the flu, the, you know, the, all of that feeling. And 
so you know something's going on. So when I came back is when I went to my doctor and I said, look, I, you know, we, we, I can't do this anymore. And so the, the thought process was, so you know what, what, is, what has happened. So do you want more of that? Or do you choose to go on to the unknown and go, let's see what else I can do now? Because there is really no turning back. So I have to face that there's no turning back. But the turning back is this pain and fogginess and, and everything else that I've already experienced in the last 15 years. Maybe it's worthwhile to take this leap into the unknown and go, whatever this brings, oh, well, we just don't know. But I already know what the past was. Were you a runner before 2017? I was. I was. I was an active kid in high school. So I played sports. Um, I, you know, I was a basketball player until everybody outgrew me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then I've tried many sports. Um, and that's sort of what it was um, in 2017 when, you know, I was sitting in hospital and you have a lot of waiting time between therapy and you're like, what do I do? So you start scrolling and then. You start trying to learn. I think for me, because of the problem solving, like I said, you start thinking about, well, what can I do now? Like, what can I, you know, how do I adapt to new things, right? Like, then you start going down the the rabbit hole of YouTube and, and the internet and you're like, oh, there's amputee runners and they run and those blades are sexy, right? So then you're like, maybe I can do that. So then that's when I said, so I was still, like I said, I was still in hospital when I signed up for the Toronto uh, race. And you're just like, yeah, I think I'm just going to do this. Just say, yep, I've, I can do this again. And that's really all it was. It was like, I didn't mean to be some sort of inspirational runner. I did to be, you know, some sort of, you know, uh, face of, of adapt, adaptive runner. But, you know, I just did it again. I kind of just did it for myself. I just had to prove this one thing for me. Kind of like to your your point about having to prove everyone else wrong. I never meant to prove anyone wrong. It's just I needed to do this for me. And I think we have to start looking at what is, and I think that's also part of self-care, right? We always want to try to please everyone else around us. It's like we have to learn to do something for ourselves. And the joy it brings to you, like just goes like that. When they said that light just goes out, right? And if everybody else sees it and 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 gets inspired by it, then great. But I hate to be selfish, but I kind of did that for me. The joy out of it is mine and no one else can take that away from me. So it's speaking of um, a source of motivation and, and the joy doing it for yourself. What was that first race experience like for you? How did it feel both during the race and then afterwards? So, <laughs> so, you know, you're like, I was nervous. I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm doing this. And then you see people pass you. I'm really doing horribly here. Oh, should I give up now? Right? Like, this is embarrassing. Right? And then by, you know, I think it was like my third K, that third, you know, my, I call it my 3K wall. It's like, why am I doing this? What for? Why, why, why do you choose to do this? Like, why are you doing this to yourself? Right? Where you start questioning everything about your life at that point. And then you, you get to the fourth K and you're like, okay, I see the end now. Like I see it. Like I see the finish line. Right. And then, so you go on up your pace again and you're like, oh, I'm so motivated now. I'm so good. It's right here. Like it's so close to me. Right. And then you cross that and you're like, wow, that was really good. Like that was a really good thing. And, and it's kind of like a metaphor of life also in anything that we want to do in, in achieving something and setting goals for yourself. Right. 
like your goal is that finish line. And whether that takes you 45 minutes, 10 years to get to that finish line, and you'll always have those walls and you have to cross all those barriers and whatever barrier that may be, you're kind of just problem solving go, okay, right. There's all those blame that are put on myself. Now what, how do I get out of that funk? Right. How do I get out of that in that that space so that I can move forward and still see the finish line? And then when I do see that finish line, that should be motivating enough for me to go. Yes, I can chase this and I can really get there. And that reward is crossing that finish line in anything in life, in whatever goals you set for your life. Right. And so I've always used that 5K metaphor as like that experience as my like that. That's what it is. Whatever you face, this is your 3K wall. Right. This is when you start questioning everything in your life and you're just like, okay, but what's really important? What is really important? And then there's that there's that finish line at the end and you're like, okay, but if I just get past this, problem solve all of this at the third K, that when I get to the fourth K, I'm like, oh, right, I'm almost there and I can push forward. I'm curious about some of the logistics of this because you come off of the, the 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 surgery and the process of the limb loss and the healing. What was it like sort of logistically getting back into because it sounds like there probably would have been a relearning how to walk and run again with, you know, with a prosthetic. So can you tell us a bit about what that journey was like? Sure. Yeah. So yeah. So once I shared it with my physiotherapist, I was thinking of doing this race. Um, you know, we started with okay, let's get the thighs working. Let's get the, the, you know, let's get all the muscles working. Let's get the core working. Let's get the glutes working. And walking with prosthesis is obviously very much different than walking with your own limbs because, you know, you have this, think of it as a heavy work boot. And, and, and at this time I'm running with one heavy work boot on one and then, you know, no weight on the other. So there's going to be some kind of limping motion. And so there's a lot of muscles that you you don't typically probably in your mind will will not use on a regular run, but now I have to be aware of those muscles. And so it's like, and then also I don't have the calf muscles or the push off from my ankle to actually make me, you know, run. And so you have to figure out a way to to improve that gait so that it's like, so is it my hip that would move me forward, that would pro- propel me forward, or is it this? So there's all of that that kind of has had to go into my training or my rehab, um, you know, so that we did a lot of, of balancing. We did a lot of, and that's very important for prosthetic wearing because you had to be able to balance on both legs. You know, you can't always just be standing on your sound leg. Um, so that's the amputated leg, right? So you can't put, put more impact on that leg, although it will take more impact more naturally because you, you tend to want to use that leg because it's, it's a sound leg. It's your better leg than your, than your amputated leg. And then, you get the for me anyway. I got the hang of running with with one heavy with one heavy boot on the one, and then none on the other. And then two years later, I had to go back to square one because now I have to run on both. And then on top of that, add the blades now, which are spring form. So um, I don't think when we ran, I still had I didn't have the blades then, so it was still no, just the regular right. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, and that so, must make a huge difference. It does because it not only um, for the running, it, it makes running a little bit more comfortable because it's lighter because it's carbon fiber, right? But now I can't stand on them because if you stand still on them, you will fall over. So if you have to imagine, for those who can't see the, the blade or can't imagine a blade, it's like a J shape or a C shape. And the tippy toes of those are the only ones touching the ground. So you can't stand on them. They, you will just fall over if you stand on them. So if you see people 
for you. If you see me waiting around to, to, to run, we're usually going side by side on them and walking around on them because the, the movement is think about you standing on your tippy toes, very, very tip of your toes. And that's what we're balancing on as runners. And so cores engage, glutes engage, thighs engage, you know, your whole body is literally engaged to this thing because if you do one step wrong, you will fall over. Now running comes in, it, the fun part comes in running with them because if you step down the wrong way, it will propel you in a different direction. So now you have to calculate how it lands. So we talk about storage, uh, uh, energy storage. So if you, if you push a little bit more weight on that, it will propel you faster or sorry, harder. And now you have to catch that flight, that energy return in flight before you land on your next one. Because if you miss that land, you will fall flat on your face. And that has happened to me three times now, I think. So again, a, the course of the road or where I'm running, if there's a pebble that I step on, it will totally change the trajectory of that blade. It will totally change the function of that blade and it, it could throw me right off and it will send me flying, right? Um, if I do a misstep where I didn't exactly calculate how the energy return is going to land on my next blade, it will completely trip me off. And because I have no sense of how far I am from the ground, I had to make sure my knees are higher up and my, my blade is higher up on the, on the, um, the stride, right? So my, 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 my stride down is way in way forward so that the tip of the blade ends at the front, because that's going to store the energy on my push down and then the physical work and pushes the energy forward. So if my blade is hooking down because it's not high enough, it will catch the road and trip me over. So there's no shuffling for you. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) It's all kind of like a high knee, like a high step almost. Pretty much. So when we're, when we're, when we're working out or doing, you know, kind of running conditioning, you know, you do a lot of these high knee ones, right? Because you got to get your, you got to give, make sure that you can carry this blade up because otherwise you, it will catch the road and it'll send you flying. So there's a lot of, and, and the thing is, there's a lot of physics that goes into that. But once you get the hang of it, your mind kind of forgets to do all of that and you just enjoy the run. Yeah. So, so the surface of the road obviously is, as you're describing, super important. I'm curious about things like change in terrain, like hills and things like that. How do you, do you, is, are, are there different, I would imagine different types of those sort of physics calculations going into how yeah. you would attack an up or a downhill? Yeah. So on hills, um, uphill is, is not really all that bad, but you have to make sure that your blade, blade literally ends on the tip. It should really land on the tip. Because if you land on the flatter surface of the blade, it will send you flying backwards. On the downhill is much more challenging and there's no way for stopping on these blades. First of all, there's no immediate stop on these blades. So if you've watched um, Marissa uh, Papadopoulos, did I say her name or last name wrong? Papa Constantino. Uh, it's a big one. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we call her Marissa Papas, right? So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. And I think she's good with that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah she's good with that. Sorry, Marissa. If you see if you see Marissa or any other you know um, uh, track stars like that, you see them like run off all the way because they have to use up all that energy after the finish line. They, we can't stop just immediately. So running downhill, it's like you better make sure there's no one in front of you because 
there's no stopping us, right? And so you have to just figure out how, what the road looks like. And then you start calculating where, where am I going to go with this, right? Because um, you, could, you could literally fall. And it will, again, it'll, it will propel you forward and land on your face. Wow. And was that, you said you fell a couple times, was, were hills partly to blame for that? Well, one was, yeah. And I landed right in my face, broke a couple of teeth in the front and broke my lip. And what's sad was I wore my brand new suspension. So it's part of the, you know, part of my running, my whole, there's a lot of parts to us for us to just run. Um, And it was brand new. They were brand new. They're $800 each. And I tripped and not only did I break my front teeth, but my lips and then this this suspension is that's eight hundred dollars just ripped in half. So that's another thing for for us adaptive runners to use blades and all that. Once we have an issue, we can't just you know get another one. Like my blades had been in in repair for almost a year now, um, because I again one of the lessons learned is if I can't run on a running so- on a well fitting running socket, I'll just create issues and injuries for myself. So until we get that perfect socket or near perfect socket, I shouldn't really be running on my blades. And so hopefully this last iteration of my socket, you know, I've run on them a couple of times. I'm like, yeah, this is near perfect now. We can sort, we can build our final one from this. And when I say final, that's not really final. They're, you know, two years from now, when my limb changed again, I'm going to need another pair of these, um, uh, sockets. And so it gets very costly that way. And if I do break my blades, they're between five and 15,000, depending on what kind of runner you are. And of course we don't get any funding for those. So that's all out of pocket for me. So you can just imagine, I mean, you're, 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 you know, you're, you're an elite athlete. There's cost to your training and everything else. For us, there's also that equipment cost, right? Cause that means I can no longer run if these break on me. Mm. Wow. So you said that they're they're in repair and and they've been going through a couple of different iterations. But do you you must have another pair that you've been running with while you're waiting for that? Yeah, I do. Um, so I don't. That's why I don't. Uh, I haven't been running all that long on them uh, because if I do, then then I will have skin issues. And when the next the 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 next thing, if we have skin issues, is that I can't even wear my everyday leg at that point. So that keeps me completely out of you know, out of circulation, if you will, right? Because now yeah, I yeah. can't wear my leg. So then I got to be at home sitting on a couch. So which is- And when you say skin issues, is that like chafing and blistering and things like that? Yeah, like a blood blister or, a, a, yeah. So a regular blister, you can't even, you know, a regular blister, you can kind of put your leg back on, but it's really painful. Um, we can't really put band-aids there. That's not really a good thing because now you're harboring bacteria and something else. And that could be, you know, a hotbed for an infection at that point, right? Because now you've got sweat that you have to deal with and everything else, right? Um, uh, uh, a cyst or like a skin lesion of sorts, that can go all the way into a, tu- a whole tunneling of tissues. And then now you're out, now you're out for like six months because you need that tissue to heal. And, you know, and sometimes you, you know, doctors would go in there. Thankfully, I haven't had that that many of them were, you know, a doctor had to go in there and scoop out the lesion and, or that hard skin or that, you know, that, that tissue that's hardened because of running and they had to go in there. And so, you know, and, and, and operate on it or lancet. Cause yeah, then again, that puts me out of commission. Right. So there's a yeah, lot of, there's a yeah. lot more, there's a lot of things that we kind of have to be careful about. 
You mentioned something there about in two years, you know, your limbs will have changed a bit and you'll have to go back in. What What's that all about? I mean, what 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 changes happen and what's that process like? So kind of like losing weight, um, you your our muscles atrophy when you don't use them. So in a system that I'm in, um, I, you know, I mean, my calves are there to cover up the, the you know, where, where the bone had been removed. And so the if you can imagine it, the calves are wrapped around, right? So because you're no longer using the muscles, so they just atrophy. So they get skinnier and skinnier, just like any tissue that you don't use or any muscle you don't use. So get smaller and smaller. And so now, because my my prosthetic or my socket was built, you know, when I still had more mass there, now I don't have it that much. So now we have to build another one, you know, to to make to make sure I fit there. Because again, it's not safe for me to be running on a loose socket like that, because then that just causes more injuries, right? And not just injury to my limb, but injury to my body, because now I'm compensating with other muscles to carry the blade or carry the socket. Gotcha. Gotcha. Wow. It's a lot, it's a lot to think about. And um, it's, it's sort of incredible that there's this ongoing evolution, right? Um, Throughout your, your life and then your life as a runner as well. Do you have any races planned for the spring? I know that we're just getting back into in-person racing again. I, I know we've all missed it. Do you have any runs that you're planning on? Well, I probably, as I always do, um, I'll have to do, uh, you know, the Achilles race, right? It's it's a great race for all adaptive athletes. And, and it's just a fun day. It's a fun run. You see, you know, all athletes have different abilities to just go out there and, and do their best. Again, whether it's walking, wheelchair, or me with my blades or whatever it is. And especially like the blind runners with, you know, with their uh, guide runners running with them. It's just a great thing to see all these people with different abilities literally showing up and saying, look, at we, you know, look, we can do this just like you would. It's just, we're doing it a different way. And, but we're, you know, so there's that having said all that. So there's that, that I'm looking to doing. Um, I don't know. I, um, it's not like last, the last couple of years pre COVID where it's like, I had every month set up with one race, at least in it. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I think I'm waiting to see what the, what the in-person running looks like. <laughs> And then maybe go, okay, now I can start lining up some, some races, but definitely doing the TCS uh, waterfront uh, race. Haven't decided yet if I'm doing a 5k or longer, we'll see how trading happens. I mean, I, you know, talking about goals earlier, I do have three things that I do want to be able to do. And, and that's this, you know, uh, the Toronto uh, 42 waterfront. I want to be able to do a full marathon one day with that. The other one, of course, is New York. You just have to do New York. And the ultimate one is Boston, right? So if I if I can do all three, you know, in my lifetime, then I think it's great. You know, I'm not putting a time limit on myself, as, you know, to do it by the end of the year. Um, I, you know, it, it's just something to look forward to and, 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 and work up to doing. And yeah, and then it's, you know, it's a throw in for a fourth. I'm like, maybe I'll do the London one too. <laughs> Amazing. That's at some point you're just going to do all the marathon majors. You just got to get right. them all out of the way. <laughs> right. You talked about the the Achilles run, and I know that um, issues of representation and accessibility and visibility are very important to you. And you're an advocate. You're an ambassador. Um, and in fact, you're the founder of the Amputee Coalition of Toronto. I'm mm-hmm. wondering if you can speak a bit to 
some of those concepts of representation, both within running. And then I know that obviously you're an actor as well. So um, I know it's a big question, but maybe you could touch on a bit what those issues of representation mean to you and what the work you're doing to help increase that visibility. Right. So the Empty Coalition of Toronto, I founded that uh, four years ago after my limb loss, simply just from the, again, you know, whether that's representation or that's just, again, pure self, you know, selfish ways of like, we got it. We got to be seen. Um, I think for me and, and how that kind of came about was I left the hospital and, and rehab. Uh, and what I found was I only felt normal when I was in rehab or in the rehab center. And when I step outside, I'm the only one I see with a limb difference. And, 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 and I thought that can't be the way to live. Like, I only feel normal. That means I'm I'm already institutionalized, right? To only feel normal inside a hospital, and 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 that's not the way to live at all. And so I made a conscious choice to wear shorts 24 seven, 365 days a year. But it's really just showing people again. It's like you know we exist, right? And so I founded the group because I felt like other people with limb loss cannot feel this way. So what? You know, with a platform I have, what can I do to make to make them see that you are normal? You can go to a theater, you can ride a bus, you can ride a taxi, you can you can walk down the streets and not be ashamed of your body, right? Not be ashamed of your disability, right? And so I also don't have a problem saying the word, you know, disabled person, because I that I you know I, I don't see that as a negative thing. It's like I am proud of of what my disability has opened up for me, right? And so in terms of representation, it's just that seeing that person that, oh, I actually also belong in society. I'm not, I think we're slowly moving away, albeit not fast enough, of, you know, hiding our people with disabilities in closets like in the days, right? Um, If you talk to older generations that have limb loss when they were called crippled, right, or cripples, Right. And actually, interestingly, uh, uh, interestingly enough, there's a bit of a uh, a bit of history here. Um, back in the day, they used to give uh, people with disabilities, those with limb loss anyway, the crip card. And it's literally called a crip card, you know, and that just changed recently. So to, to be changing all of that, it's like, you know, if they see me on TV or on stage or whatever media it is that I'm, you know, that they see me in, it's like, that kid who just experienced limb loss or they could be born with it, you know, uh, born with a, you know, with a limb difference. It's like, oh, I also belong, right? I see myself in someone and that I'm part of society and, and I'm contributing to society. I'm not, I'm not someone that society has to just kind of put away or go, you're a burden, you know, and so if they see me and if that's the, you know, again, that's what I inspire to, to, to them to see, oh, you know, we see this guy and great. Then I think I've done my job. If I can just get that one child somewhere to say, oh, look, mom, just someone just like me. can we in the Canadian running community do 
to ensure that our events and our running spaces are accessible and welcoming and equal. Right. I mean, yeah. So accessibility is absolutely important, right? Making sure the tracks are, you know, um, and, and any field sports, not that I play field sports, you know, to, to make it more accessible for us. Right. Just to make sure washrooms are accessible, um, the tracks are accessible, you know, um, and even for spectators, you know, the bleachers, where are your wheelchair accessible bleachers? Where do they sit? And then you you walk into to, you know, when I'm about to do my sport, it's like so I, 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 I guess if you want to call it that professionally throw as a seated thrower in field, it's like but the paved part ends and now I have to walk on grass to get to where I'm supposed to participate in my sport. So why did you cut off there? Like, you know what I mean? So there's, there's all of that that we had to be aware of. And then to make the sport inclusive is to really, and I think athletics uh, Ontario anyway, is doing a really good job of that where they're literally combining the events as, you know, able-bodied and, and people with disabilities in the same, yeah. in the same weekend. Right. So it's not like, Oh, only Paris competing this weekend. And it's like, you get to see everybody and then you get to meet other people in their sport and, and you get to watch how these athletes do their sport. And, and, and I think we've done a really good job of that here. Um, I can speak for athletics Ontario anyway, in, in, in the events that I've got, that I've gone to. So I think we just, we just really have to, you know, really invite more people in to be more inclusive and also open more clubs that allows for, for people with disabilities to participate because to be honest it's like well what like one or i could probably name one or two clubs that would host a person with a disability into their team you know what happens to that child who lives in fergus ontario they have to travel all the way to toronto now to see a a, a club that has people with disabilities in their club you know like that that child is you know want to get into sports they can't even get to any sport in their town because not one club there can accommodate a child with disability. So how do we grow? You know, we had to think about how do we grow the sport, right? Because at some point in time, people will retire. And, and how do we keep feeding into the sport? If you're trying to develop a child at 10, now you, the child doesn't get developed until they're in their teens or in their 20s or later in life when the development stages are kind of a missed mark already because they couldn't access their a sports club where they were until they moved to Toronto in their university days. And they're, Oh, I didn't know those clubs existed or I didn't realize there's accessible clubs. And so I think we had to do better at, at expanding those. And I think we could look to, you know, to athletes like yourself who are in the, the able uh, uh, grouping to say, how can we make this more accessible for everyone? How can we make this sport more inclusive? How can we go out into these, just like you all go into small towns to, to demo the sport. It's like, how do we include our para, you know, pair athletes to come with us, to come along with us, to show this to those, to those kids and, and introduce these clubs. One of the great things you're doing, Aristotle, is of course, you're acting as an ambassador within your community. You won the Parasport Ontario Ambassador of the Year Award in 2020, incredibly well-deserved. I know that you work with a number of different organizations, but we should also plug the fact that you have your own podcast, um, and maybe you can give us the name and tell us a little bit about it and um, and where folks can find it. Sure, yeah. Um, I run the show called The MPTO Show. Uh, which is my handle on everything. So if you ever look me up on on social, it's MPTO. So it's called yeah, it's called the MPTO show. And um, 
yeah, it's on your favorite podcast apps. So just look me up and, and, and I'm on that. And we'll definitely link that in our show notes for this podcast. Um, and also, you know, link different uh, different ways that folks can learn more about your story and also about um, ways in general to increase their own education and and the visibility for adaptive athletes in our, in our country and beyond. But Aristotle, we want to thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your voice with us and your story. And we wish you all the best of luck, um, both in your own running adventures coming up and in everything else, your acting, um, your advocacy work and everything else to come. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. This has been great. Thank you. You can learn more about Aristotle by finding him on social media or by following the links in our show notes. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Shakeout Podcast. Subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're liking what you're hearing, please consider leaving us a review. Thanks for tuning in. Run strong and healthy, and we'll chat again soon.